Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to AOA. It is Thursday. It's hard to believe it's already May 26th. The month of May coming to an end. June is just around the corner. We're going to be talking about a lot of different things on today's AOA. Here in a little bit, segment two, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Joseph Yaros. He's the president of Pipestone Veterinary Services China Division. Recently gave a fascinating presentation on what a biosecure farm in China that is grappling with African swine fever looks like he'll share that with us and then it's segment three andrew brandt the director of trade policy at the u.s grains council will join us we're going to talk about this indo-pacific economic framework that the biden administration announced a week or so ago and then at the end of the show we are going to be talking with Dwayne bussey of bolt marketing up in britain south dakota he was hoping to be in the tractor today actually getting some seed in the ground up there we'll see if that is indeed where he has ended up today and what he thinks these markets might do in the short term before we discuss all of that though we've got another topic coming first on the show supply chain troubles have been endemic in the global economy since covid first broke out back in march of 2020 but america has had kind of an ace in the hole when it comes to moving goods and supplies around in country and that's our inland waterway system a new study was just done that confirmed that our system is pretty darn good in the face of global competition joining me to discuss it is deb calhoun she's the secretary of the national water Waterways Foundation. Deb, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. Let's talk about what this study showed. This was the Eno Center for Transportation. Deb, what were they looking at in this context? Well, let me just back up and say the National Waterways Foundation commissioned studies that, that really addressed uh, relevant inland waterways issues. So for many years, we had talked about U.S. competitiveness vis-a-vis our, our inland waterways and our lock and dam infrastructure on the inland system. We began to hear you know, more and more about the large infrastructure investments that China was making in its country, but also uh, what China was investing in infrastructure in other countries, for, for example, South America, where the U.S. competes for soybeans. Uh, so this scenario really presented an, an uneven playing field and could further hamstring uh, America's ability to compete in the world market. So we really wanted to examine that further. And Eno Transportation Center in Washington, D.C. did conduct this important study that was just released this week. Uh, they, they looked at it by comparing a number of river systems in the world. So in Europe, they looked at it through the Rhine and Danube rivers. In Asia, the Yangtze and the Mekong rivers, and in South America, the Amazon and the Parana-Paraguay rivers. And they, they compared investment levels, commodity flows, looking at governance issues, and investment priorities. And um, so an important study to look at our competitiveness in the world. It certainly is. And it came back showing that the U.S. is still highly competitive because of this inland waterway system that we've developed. But there are always concerns, Deb, as this study looked out in the future, which of those other global river systems is the one we should be watching as a potential challenger to the U.S.? Well, I think we need to be aware, and the study notes that uh, we need to be aware of, of all of the river systems. Um, you know, many have their own challenges. For example, the European system uh, has challenges because um, they need to collaborate uh, within different countries in the European Union. In the United States, we really benefit from you know, one centralized management within our government, uh, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers that manages our, our inland system and, and modernizes it. Um, and the fact that our inland waterway system is contained within our borders. Um, but we certainly need to keep an eye on what's happening in China and the South American countries. Um, investment will continue in those other countries. And I think the point of the study is that we particularly need to make sure that we are planning properly and that uh, we are making those investments that are on a continual basis because we will uh, you know, lose ground, if you will, um, to, to these other systems uh, in the future if we do not. And we will learn a very hard lesson, particularly in the agriculture sector. 
Uh, that's absolutely true, Deb. And as we think about those investments that need to be made continually, there have been claims that we haven't been great in this country at making those. And that bipartisan infrastructure bill this last year was going to to bring things at, at least closer to par. What's that funding look like? Are we starting to see some locks and dams and some river systems receive funding from that infrastructure bill as of yet? We thankfully are. Uh, yes, the um the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act that we refer to as the IIJA uh, did fund the inland waterway system at $2.5 billion. Uh, so that was a huge shot in the arm, if you will, and that will fund work on seven projects across the inland system, and several of them funded to completion. And um, it's interesting to note that of all the construction funding uh, provided to the Army Corps for its civil works mission, uh, the Inland Waterways received two of the three largest allocations within that IAJA pot of, of funding. So money is being received at those projects now. Um, only about $113.5 million remains unspent, but it, it has been allocated to, as I said, those seven key projects across the system. Deb, a concern I hear bubbling up from the countryside is, will this funding be enough? Two and a half billion is a lot of money, but we are seeing costs rise throughout the construction sector. Are we going to have to address some of these projects that were funded to completion at 2021 prices? Yes, I am sure that inflation is going to be um, a challenge and there will have some impacts. We're, of course, not seeing it quite yet since the allocation of funding has just uh, occurred and um, the Corps is working to, you know, to lay out that, uh, that funding and, and do the work that needs to be done immediately and, and subsequently. So um, I'm sure that there will be an impact. I'm just not sure exactly what the impact will be. Um, workforce challenges are a concern as well. You know, will there be enough workers to be able to complete those projects in the timeline um, that has been set for them? So, uh, so that will be something to watch as well. But, you know, that's affecting uh, many industries across the, across the United States. It certainly is. And Deb, another issue that's impacting a lot of industries is this high fuel price. Of course, inland waterways using that barge system are very efficient. Are you hearing from folks, do they anticipate waterway volumes to grow with diesel price being as high as it is? Well, what we're uh, waiting uh, is what is going to happen with Russia and the Ukraine, of course. Um, here in the United States, as you were well aware, we are available and open and have product to sell to world markets to replace what's what's being lost in the Ukraine. Um, and so we're we're ready for those buyers to come to the United States and the most cost competitive, low cost transportation mode uh, to ship those commodities is on America's uh, inland waterway system. That really provides the, the best advantage, particularly to our American farmers and, and manufacturers to, um, you know, as the study points out, to successfully compete in the world market. So, um, yes, fuel prices will be a challenge and are a challenge, of course, for all of us. But um, we do expect to see those, um, those volumes, particularly on the ag side, to grow over the next several months. And uh, post-COVID, as you started the segment with, um, things are really, um, in the liquid segment particularly, are neutralizing as well. So that's a good sign. All right, lots going on there, folks. You can keep up to date with everything that's going on in the world of waterways by following their website, nationalwaterwaysfoundation.org. Our thanks to Deb Calhoun, secretary of that organization, for joining us today. And folks, stick with us. Dr. Joseph Yaris, president of Pipestone Veterinary Services in China, will join us to talk about biosecurity in that country. Stay with us for more on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Soil, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before.
Farmer's log, soil date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. Guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <laughs> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it, or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Yesterday, I had the chance to tune in to the Global Hog Industry Virtual Conference. This was an update. We heard about it from Sarah Muirhead on AOA yesterday, and it was a group of experts in the hog space coming together to discuss the impact of African swine fever, which certainly has roiled that industry for the past six years as it has spread in China. And now China is producing pork, and they are still African swine fever positive. So what does management look like in country? It was a fascinating discussion brought by Dr. Joseph Yaros. He's the president of Pipestone Veterinary Services China Division, and he joins us today. Dr. Yaros, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Mike, nice to meet you. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, appreciate, appreciate it. Let's talk first about your experience in China. Dr. Yaros, what was it that got you involved out there, and how long have you been working with that country? Yeah, Back in the middle of 2017, uh, one of my colleagues, Dr. Luke Minion, asked me if I was interested in joining some of the efforts that our company, Pipestone, has overseas uh, to help farmers, not just in the United States, but in other locations as well. Took that opportunity and uh, have been in charge of the China operation that uh, Pipestone has uh, for the last Three years, I traveled back and forth to China 22 times, and uh, starting in 2017 means that I uh, was able to see the industry both before ASF and then after ASF. Yeah, that is a year that jumped out at me as that ASF uh, harbinger. Dr. Yaros, how has the industry changed? Talk to us about what it was like 2017 on your first couple trips over to how it's changed now. Is it more professional of an industry in China? I'd say the biggest change that's occurred, Mike, is just the, the scale of biosecurity. Uh, before, they were pretty in-depth on uh, biosecurity, but now some of the interventions that you see are 
second to none. Um, you've got what would be six to eight foot tall fences, uh, concrete fences around every single site. You've got uh, security guards at uh, corners allowing people to come in and out, only one entrance, one exit. Um, you've got uh, uh, complexes of farms where they don't even allow trucks from the outside to come in. All the, all the pigs are going to be moving onto outside trucks via transfer chutes, so in a very biosecure manner where uh, uh, freshly washed trucks aren't even going to be able to enter and, and make it next to these sites. They're all going to do um, internal multiplication, so they're not bringing in animals on a consistent basis. Pretty much all of them have boar studs on site, so there's no risk of uh, semen entry. Um, all supplies are getting disinfected, and uh, there'll be audit procedures making sure that all these things are being executed on a daily basis. Because you can have nice protocols on paper, but if they're not getting executed 100% of the time, uh, might as well not be doing them. Yeah, that's a great point. You mentioned the way these facilities are locked down. Are the bulk of these then true farrow to finish type operations, or are they still moving weanlings and, and market hogs from site to site? Yep, yep, good question. I'd say over the last uh, couple of years, that's also been a change of mindset of some operations, definitely not all. Uh, from the veterinary perspective, I'm still very cautious of a feral to finish operation because once a, a pathogen such as PERS or a, a virus enters that premises, it's going to be very, very difficult to eradicate it. So definitely still appreciate and value the multi-stage production. Um, so for uh, uh, some folks, they continue to be doing multi-site production, but I'm aware of uh, some production companies that also, since ASF, want to keep everything under one roof. I'm sure we've seen, or everyone's seen those news articles about the uh, 100,000 sow complexes all under one roof, and uh, that's that's uh, a procedure some groups have taken. Not that I recommend that in any form. I think it's going to be really hard to get rid of pathogens uh, once they come into those sites. Yeah, yeah, you see those those sow hotel pictures floating around on the internet. And my goodness, from a management perspective, that looks like a tremendous amount of work. I'm curious about feed. Early on, as African swine fever was spreading, there was a lot of concerns that it could be carried in feed. Dr. Yaros, is that still an accepted way that this virus moves? And if so, how are these hog operations grappling with bringing in their inputs to keep everything rolling? Yeah, good question. Feed risk and feed concern is something that uh, Pipestone takes very seriously. And I'm glad that in uh, China, the industry has largely reacted to that being concern as well. I know that it's a commonplace nowadays after ASF for uh, feed mills to pellet all of their feed and uh, keep the conditioner at 85 degrees Celsius for three minutes. So when we when we first started this procedure, there were some questions. Is it going to inactivate some of the vitamins, uh, render, render some of the nutrition components invaluable? And uh, luckily, we're able to see that still have good growth, still have good feed conversions with uh, heating feed to that level. So I, I don't think any negative effects. Uh, but without a doubt, commonplace today, all feeds getting cooked. Some groups are using mitigants, um, similar to the U.S., growing appreciation for uh, mitigants and a lot of work uh, that Pipestone's done on mitigants to understand which ones might be of value and uh, definitely biosecurity at the feed mill itself with people uh, producing the feed on a regular basis and uh, uh, working inside the mill, they're going to be uh, following similar biosecurity procedures to people in the farms, changing clothes, taking showers before they make it on site just to make sure that that uh, we can keep animals safe. Yeah, and keeping them safe is crucial. Keeping ASF out of our borders is crucial because as I hear you talk, Dr. Yaris, we're talking a six to eight foot concrete wall, truck washes outside, you're cooking all of this feed. I'm curious about costs. How can Chinese pork producers make this pencil? What, what would it be comparable to a U.S. site, a build out? Yeah, if we look at costs in China compared to the U.S., there's a couple different items to look at. The first one, when it comes to construction costs, especially on a sow farm, 
you've got one big difference in the U.S. versus China, where in uh, China, labor is going to be about uh, half of what it'd be running in the U.S. So you're able to produce a site or you're able to build a sow farm for less than you would have in the United States if you were to uh, have the same build-out specs by a measure of about two-thirds the cost. But also important to note that you're going to have some requirements in the building uh, level in China that you don't have in the U.S. For example, every site needs to have a manure digester. And that manure digester is going to run you over a million bucks depending on the site. So you've got to factor in that cost. Uh, You have to factor in the expense of of, uh, dormitories. And depending on where exactly you want to put those in uh, in your overall budget, um, it's just kind of up to you. And then after pigs are uh, running out of that sow farm, the discussion is, well, well what, what's the cost of those coming out? Is it similar to the U.S.? And although labor, as noted, is going to run you about 50% of what it does in the U.S., the cost of feed is uh, <clears throat> it's pretty mind-blowing. It is uh, today, corn is about 2x what it is here in the United States, and soybean meal is about 33% more. So you have corn prices that are hitting 13 bucks a bushel. So you've got, you've got people sweating right now about uh, $758 corn, but yeah, just imagine if it was $13. And uh, with that, uh, everything you can do to reduce, uh, minimize feed conversions and maximize performances is critical. And when you factor in those lower labor costs but higher feed expenses, you're still going to end up with a, a similar cost per pig in the U.S. and China, just kind of how it works out. All right, Dr. Yaros, to wrap it all up, is it working? Do you expect another large-scale culling in the Chinese hog herd? I think if we look at reasons why there would be a large-scale culling, um, it would be due to two reasons. Number one, a significant health challenge. And ASF is the most devastating pathogen known to pigs. And China's been able to control that with the aggressive testing measures and the aggressive uh, same-day PCR results with the tooth extraction procedure. And I I don't foresee disease being a factor. But then you have the long-term bad market prices. That would be the other reason for a depopulation event. And if we look at a company such as uh, Zhengbang, they have 1.2 million sows, the same number of sows as Mexico entirely. Holy cow. That's 98% debt ratio. With that level of debt, you're going to continue to see liquidation, liquidation with low prices. And I, I foresee yep. uh, that being the other reason. All right. Well, thanks, Dr. Yaros. We'll be back with more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex premium diesel diesel that doesn't mess around time is money right and money well it's the whole reason we go to work every day Cenex premium diesel protects both with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn Cenex Roadmaster XL helps your entire fuel system stay up and running so you can count more profits and steer clear of losses now don't spend all that free time in one place Unless it's the highway. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me, you don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, it's the soy complex that is off to the races here today with cord and wheat under some pressure with soybeans up double digits right now. Good strength in the meal and oil markets. Now, corn is still down moderately along with winter wheats, although we have pulled well off the overnight lows. Spring wheat is trading a little bit higher. A lot of news in the trade surrounding Russia potentially allowing some corridors for Ukrainian grain still really affecting the market as we see a lot of uh, fund managers hedging their risk with 
prices just below record levels in many cases recently, taking some profits just in case Ukrainian grain does start to move. But there is a lot of skepticism in the market surrounding this, and one has to wonder if it will actually happen. But still, even so, we continue to watch some profit taking, but slowly working off the lows and maybe some of the uh, some, some of the momentum to the upside in the soy complex here today could be helping to pull quarter wheat off their lows as well. Crude oil up 263 a barrel, 112.96. We see the Dow Jones up 386 points. So green on the screen in energies and stocks here so far today. With mixed to lower action in livestock, weekly export sales across the board really wasn't much to right home about July corn down 10 and a half 761 to three quarters December down six and a half 760 to three quarters July beans up 21 at a quarter 1702 at a quarter November up 15 at a quarter at 1528 July bean meal up 280 a ton at 427 July bean oil up 73 points at 7965 July Chicago wheat down seven 1141 at a quarter September down six at three quarters 1150 July Kansas City wheat down three quarters 1232 and a half July spring wheat up a half penny at 1280 one june hogs down 50 108.55 june live cattle down 22 132.07 this is aoa i'm jesse allen vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma not at birth with macular degeneration you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility. Independence changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. There has been a topic that's been floating around in the headlines now for a little while, and this is the proposal to create an Indo-Pacific economic framework. Yeah, I figured it was time we dive into this thing. And to help us do that, we're going to be speaking with Andrew Brandt. He's the Director of Trade Policy at the U.S. Grains Council. Andrew, thank you for taking the time to join us here on AOA today. Uh, thank you for having me on and uh, appreciate the opportunity to speak on this on the IPF. Before we get into the details here of this Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, or IPEF, let's talk about what countries are currently in the negotiations. Andrew, who all is on the roster? Uh, so to start, there are 13 countries, including the, Un the United States, so 12 in addition to us. And they are, uh, you know, all, uh, many countries in Southeast Asia, I can list them here, Australia, Brunei, India, Indonesia, Japan, Korea, Malaysia, New Zealand, Philippines, Singapore, Thailand, and Vietnam. And so uh, many, many countries that we have dealt with before, some of which we already have free trade agreements with, um, but those are the initial countries. So, uh, you know, in time, there could be additions. Okay, so it's, it's a growing, it's kind of a working arrangement at this stage. And you mentioned that we do already have free trade agreements with a couple of these countries. And in the announcement, the U.S. Grains Council comment on this announcement, I should say, you noted that this was a new approach to trade negotiations. Andrew, what is it about this economic framework approach that's different from a traditional free trade agreement type approach to international trade? Uh well, it's certainly a different approach in that they have these four pillars on the interior uh, that the negotiations will revolve around. And so compared to a traditional free trade agreement where 
you know, the focus is market access and then a number of issues around that, sanitary and phytosanitary kind of individual rules countries might have. That's more traditional approach of a free trade agreement. Uh, this is having these four predefined pillars, uh, one of which will be handled by USTR and then the other three will be led by the Commerce Department. Uh, so the first pillar, fair and resilient trade, will be led by USTR. Then the next three, supply chain resiliency, which gets into like the pandemic, uh, clean energy decarbonization, and taxation and anti-corruption fall under the Department of Commerce's uh, purview. Uh, that certainly represents a new way of engaging trading partners uh, as opposed to the old-fashioned at both sides trade negotiators sit down while they may say things are off the table, it just kind of uh, across the board, everything can be to talk about. This is kind of predefining things in uh, various segments, which is uh, certainly a new approach. It, it is. It, it is a fascinating new approach. And I'm curious, from the perspective of the U.S. Greens Council, are there countries in this group that you feel confident that this new approach might produce different results? Well, I don't know if we can prejudge an outcome. I think we're certainly, uh, pardon me, I've got a little cough, uh, certainly hopeful that this new approach will, uh, you know, make new headway. We certainly have some issues in the area of countries like India, whether it's biotech or just general uh, opening of their markets. Uh, we would love to see great progress be made there. It's something we've advocated for and worked on for years, um, not unlike other U.S. industries, but... Uh, you know, we want to be supportive of this administration. Um, hopefully, obviously, they felt the need to uh, come up with a new approach, and, uh, you know, hopefully it will work out. We're, we're certainly going to do what we can to try and make it successful to, uh, you know, continue to open up markets for our, for our farmer members. Absolutely. And as we're thinking about opening up markets, of course, China has been a huge market for U.S. grain producers, especially since the end of that trade war in 2020. Andrew, as you look out at this region, the Indo-Pacific region, broadly, there has been a lot of interest expressed recently. And what is it about Southeast Asia that has exporters excited for this opportunity? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, it goes back to the premise of the TPP and the pivot to Southeast Asia. I think I think when you look at the world, you look at one where the people are, two where the economic growth also is. It's hard to beat Southeast Asia. They've got you know a lot of people and a lot of people that are coming into the middle class uh, compared to you know other parts of the world. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest uh, you know the top the the top two points, and then also it's. You know, they're, it's rather accessible by water, so it's, uh, you know, in theory, easier to ship there than, you know, the interior of other countries or continents. Um, so I think that kind of, to summarize, that, that's the main, I mean, the biggest piece is it's where the, the growing middle class is of consumers. I mean, IPEF represents 40% of uh, GDP in the world. Um, so I think if you, can, if you can work to enhance economic relationships, deepen those ties, I, I think that's why people keep going, regardless of administration or, you know, when the United States isn't the only country looking in that part of the world. That's that's why everybody's looking there. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned the challenges we've had as an ag industry negotiating with some of these countries. You mentioned the biotech issues in India. As you think about this framework, as it gets developed, are there any other ag issues in specific countries that the industry is going to have to be aggressive on in, in telling the story or fighting for new rules and regs? Yeah, I think biotech and getting... Uh, trade approvals done in a coordinated fashion. Uh, the terminology is asynchronous approval, and basically that means one country's approved it, but another one hasn't, so it blocks the release here in the U.S. or other parts of the world where uh, uh, corn or soybeans, whatever, with a certain trade can be produced until basically the whole world approves it. Uh, that's always a major issue. There's also MRLs, maximum residue levels for certain uh, chemicals that you know, various countries can set different limits, which can be uh, disruptive to trade. Um, so I think those are two things. And then to the extent we eventually hope market access could be uh, part of this, which it is not currently one of the major pieces, 
Um, there are a few tariff issues with countries in that part of the world, but for now, uh, this administration is, uh, you know, they're kind of, they're, they're saying they want to incentivize countries, but they're, they're also being clear they're not going to directly address market access. Um, so there certainly are, uh, there is room to, uh, you know, make some progress with several of these countries that could open up new markets for U.S. grain uh, and ethanol. Um, biotech uh, probably being the top of the list, um, but there will be a number of issues we engage on. So with the with market access being completely out of the conversation, at least at this stage in the game for the IPEF, what, Andrew, is the point of, of having this conversation? I apologize for being flipped with that question, but if we're not changing the access to these markets, well, why are we having these talks? So I, that's a great question. It's a question we've, we and many other traditional trade experts in D.C. have maybe asked themselves. I think if you look at uh, from, you know, so this is from the perspective of the Biden administration. I think when they look at, you know, TPP, which in the end we withdrew from, um, as well as having to work with the Congress, when you keep things more narrow, and not to say that market access won't eventually be added, because there certainly are a lot of, uh, a lot of comments coming from Congress on wanting to see that included, and it, you know, these, something, uh, an agreement <laughs> This big with this many countries certainly can kind of evolve over time. I don't, I don't suspect this will move quickly. I mean, we saw how long TPP took. Near, you know, it was a decade basically. Um, but I think they, I think they see this as a way to make initial progress. They're not, you know, if you really parse the words that you see out of the Biden administration, um, they're not ruling it out eventually, but certainly just kind of saying for this initial step of IPEF, we want to resolve a lot of technical issues across many different areas to kind of start the process. Should that go well, you know, eventually maybe we get to market access again. Um, so I guess maybe from their perspective, this is described as a walk before we run with market access, which gets uh, very controversial across the board here in the United States, um, for one, when you try and pass a free trade agreement in Congress. Certainly the U.S. Grains Council supports addressing market access, um, but uh, that's... Gotcha. This is more of an appetizer before the market access meal, which we'll see if we end up getting there. Andrew, you mentioned the timeline. TPP took 10 years. Looking at the timeline for this, boy, we've been talking about this pivot to Asia for almost a decade. Does the Biden administration have the juice to get this thing done, do you think? I think they're, I mean, I think they will engage. I would say a lot of these, because we've already done TPP, I would say a lot of the countries involved and a lot of uh, a lot of the negotiator, negotiators, this will not be entirely like starting over. Um, but it, it, you know, this will be, uh, I suspect, a complicated process that is, that'll be measured in years, not months. Um, so I, you know, hopefully they will get it done. Um, but oh. also the fact that it is a little more focused probably helps it move faster than the more traditional trade agreements like TPP where, you know, you brought Japan into TPP way into that game, which, you know, then you have to kind of start over and renegotiate some things. Um, This is, you know, that's another reason they're probably keeping this more focused is so it can move faster. Fantastic. Lots to think about here. It sounds like we'll be getting more headlines on this IPEF as it happens. And folks, if you want to keep up to date with how these big geopolitical moves could impact the grains, you can always follow the U.S. Grains Council on the web. Their website is grains.org. We've been talking to Andrew Brandt, their director of trade policy. Andrew, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Anytime. Happy to join And folks, stick with us. We're going to talk market prices with Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. 
And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference, bite by bite. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. Smart stays on the road. That's why it's in your engine. Because you wouldn't settle for subpar performance. Cenex Maxtron synthetic diesel engine oils give you the smartest oil for the toughest conditions. These premium oils maintain 80% of their viscosity throughout the drain interval for superior engine performance across extreme temperatures. That horizon looks good with the competition behind you. Cenex Maxtron diesel engine oils. Oil that runs smart. Water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board. Get on board. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out, because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear, because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> do you get it? Yes, good job. So, what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container, because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. 
Next up, we're going to South Dakota, the area around Britain, South Dakota, home to Bolt Marketing and Dwayne Bussey. Dwayne, I understand you were hoping to be in the tractor today, getting some seed in the ground. Does it look like that's going to happen? Uh, I think eventually. I think this afternoon and tomorrow we'll be able to go finally to get some stuff in the ground. Um, but rain coming. We desperately need to miss this rain this weekend, uh, us and, and North Dakota included, uh, to try to get a lot of this crop in the ground, especially that corn crop. Yeah, how's it looking for your neighbors? Everybody pretty well running behind? Uh, yeah, running behind, but guys are pushing it as hard as they can. It's, uh, it seems the I hear one thing, a very common theme. Uh, well, I, I've got a lot of cash contracts sold for new crop corn, so pushing it to get that corn in the ground to get those contracts covered for sure. There's still, you know, water holes everyone's going around, but, uh, you know, if we ever warm up a little bit, those could dry off and we can get some stuff planted. All right. Well, hopefully you'll dodge that rain this weekend and can get some stuff in the ground, Dwayne. But let's turn our focus over to the markets. We've been watching wheat this whole week find weakness day after day. We're down nine to 10 cents in Chicago today. Are we getting close to a, at least a near term bottom, Dwayne? I don't know if we are. I think this market, you know, obviously it's been all about the Ukraine and Russia war, right? And and Russia announcing that they'll open up about seven ports for Ukraine to go ahead and export egg commodities out. That's probably all a publicity stunt. I don't know if they'll do it or not in war times, but that's enough to, to get the bulls who are along this market to say, okay, I'm out. And then not to mention our really poor export demand here domestically. I mean, we have ration demand when it comes to wheat. So we're probably looking at a downward trend in wheat for, for a, quite a while, very possibly, uh, until you know, we get closer to fall and find out really what is Ukraine going to be able to export out of that country. You know, that makes a lot of sense with both Chicago and KC. Dwayne, you talk to a lot more Dakota, Minnesota spring wheat growers than I do. Is that market, could it follow a different trajectory this summer based on the slow planting so far? It has. It should have more premium than the other two classes of wheat, absolutely, because of the slow planting in North Dakota. It's just ridiculously slow. But what I'm hearing from the growers up there is they decided last week or two to kind of abandon the corn acres and push spring wheat, actually. And I know that sounds backwards to a lot of us in the in the Midwest, but you know, they'll plant spring wheat late because they're not worried about harvesting spring wheat late like they are harvesting corn late. You know, late corn in North Dakota can mean, uh, you know, coveralls and snowdrifts for getting the corn out. And, and they just didn't like that, not to mention the very high price of wheat. So I, I keep hearing that they're going to get the wheat planted up there. All right. Well, you know, as this delayed planting continues to spread, Dwayne, I'm starting to wonder if we could see corn acres abandoned in favor of soybeans. And with today's move in soybeans, does that seem likely? It, it, it sure helps. Yeah, soybeans kind of just on fire here today. We're up in the upper 30s for higher on the day. Uh, solid export demand there for the old crop. Didn't look like a huge sale, but you get to this time of year, we've already met USDA's goals for export. So anything we're selling for old crop basically just comes off the bottom line and is going to have to lower our ending stock. So I think the market kind of feels like July through August, the old crop contracts for soybeans might have to ration demand to slow this demand down, not to mention domestic demand is good for the crush plants as well. So really sharply higher soybean trade here today. There's a little bit of rumor out there that China's poking around looking for U.S. beans as well. I that's probably false because I've seen they've been canceling some of those old crop sales here recently. So a nice rally today, but somewhere in here when it gets toppy, it's probably a pretty good selling opportunity because of those seasonal tendencies I keep bringing up. Yeah, I mean, that is the time of the year, that planting season, the, the variability exists in the market right here. You mentioned the strong demand we've seen today. Export sales report came out. Who were the buyers? Who was stepping in to get some soybean needs covered? Hey, the biggest one was probably Egypt from uh, last week. They had that daily sales announcement, so that's an oddball one, isn't it? Egypt to buy U.S. soybeans, but you know, I think with all the uncertainties, they just wanted to get some on the books. Um, I know China was in there for a cancellation, and new crop export demand is you know record high at this pace, so that's very good, and that all still stems back from Brazil just not having the big crop we thought they were going to have. So, I mean, July through August, soybeans really 
I understand the support and stay up here, but you know, funds when you combine the five major commodities that we follow, they're still very long, which is I mean, actually maybe a little bit nervous too, but they're also down around 107,000 contracts from the high or down about 18%. That's concerning me. You know, when you get into June, if the weather's good for the majority of the Midwest, they might lighten the load up on some of those long positions, soybeans included there, even though we need to stay up to ration demand. Right. They could just take their ball and go home, put their profits in their pocket, and uh, we could see the price sell off as a result. Dwayne, I want to turn the focus over to the livestock markets. We've got weakness in corn today, and yet we're seeing feeder cattle off a buck and a quarter, buck fifty down the line. Did anything change in the feeder cattle market? You know, feeder cattle, I think they bounced off their loaves, and it appears that was maybe just a bit of a dead cab bounce for now. Even though the corn market is lower, like you said, the feeders still struggle just, just because of the kind of fear of recession and the economic outlook for the cattle market. Um, you know, a lot of more cattle on feed than anyone tend to anticipate here the last couple of reports. So that's got that feeder market layout a little red this morning. But, you know, we're still off the lows, and I think those lows hold. Uh, May contract will go off at noon today, and then August will be the front month. And the problem with that is that it's at a rather premium to the uh, cash index. But that August feeder, that's more of a new crop type uh, set of calves there. So we'll see come then. I mean, I I'm kind of worried what happens with these feeder cattle contracts is as we get to the front month, they'll always start to leak lower, kind of a bear spread situation here in the feeder cattle market. All right. That is a good thing to keep in mind, especially with those prices where they are out there in the deferreds, October at 172, November at 174. Those aren't terrible prices if you're looking to get some hedging in, are they? No, they're they're great prices, and, and yeah, I, I like guys hedging there, looking at the LRP insurance, you know, cow calf guys, jump on that, and you know, you buy a put option, you hopefully it's a waste of money, and it goes higher, but that's the highest price they've had in five to six years. Fantastic, folks. Let's take advantage of these when they come. We've been speaking with Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing up in Britain, South Dakota, and Dwayne, we hope you're able to get into the tractor this afternoon and get some planting done. Thanks, I appreciate it. Talk to you later, Mike. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll be talking with John Holzman, geopolitical expert, about what to expect in Europe as both those Baltic nations look to join NATO. Could it change things further? John will share his perspective on Friday's show. We'll see you then, ladies and gentlemen. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The Parkinson's Foundation knows that the disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them. If you or someone you know is living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement, we understand that it can be difficult to know where to find help. If you have questions, the Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight. We can help you understand the disease. Help you find expert care and local support give you tips for living a better life, and share the latest research. Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to parkinson.org. Or call 1-800-473-4636. That's 1-800-473-4636. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better, better lives, lives together.